This is Writing Excuses, episode 34, What Batman the Dark Knight Did Right. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And I'm Batman. <laughs> no. um, we're going to try something new. I've wanted to do a podcast like this for a while um, where we're going to kind of talk about, not kind of, we're going to talk about The Dark Knight. Um, but the, the point of our podcast Wait, is not stop. to... Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie... Oh, that's on my just list. stop. That's on my list. Oh, is it on your list? It's on my list. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing caveats first. There's 15 oh, okay. minutes of spoilers caveats. here. Um, the first thing I want to say is we are not offering criticism of The Dark Knight, really. We're not here, we're not doing movie reviews. That's not no. our point. Mm-hmm. Our no. point is to look at this story as writers and say, what can we learn from it? This is not criticism, this is deconstruction. Yes, that's what we're doing. Number Excellent. two is, right here, um, there will be spoilers. Okay. Yes. We will probably spoil this. We may spoil other movies, too, this summer. But mostly we will spoil Batman. So if you haven't seen it, go see it and then watch or listen to our podcast. Um, so that stated... Um, Tell me what you guys were thinking when you were watching this movie. What, what was your reaction as a writer? What's part of you that was the artist? What were you saying? I loved the plotting. Okay. It was deep and it was twisty. And even though I could pretty well figure out, you know, who was going to die and who was going to live and, and all that, I, it, it, kept me, it kept me on the edge of my seat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dan? Um, for me, and we just talked about this last week, but uh, side characters. Mm. Both of the, these Nolan Batman movies are all about side characters for me. Yeah. And when you consider the caliber of heavy-hitting actors they got to play the little side characters who are on screen for maybe 10 minutes, you can tell that they are spending a lot of time making, populating this world with very real, very important people. Okay. Um, what struck me was simply the writing. Uh, maybe... You know, as a writer, I think you start to see these things. Um, And I sat there really in awe, not to gush too much, but what they were doing was every line of dialogue was just slightly unexpected. Um, And this is something just wonderful to receive from a movie, particularly from a superhero movie, because it seems like the the standard go-to is, you know, you're going to throw away the writing. You're going to have wonderful visuals. You're going to have wonderful action. But the last thing on the list is usually the writing, it seems to me. And there's going to be cliché dialogue after cliché dialogue. Oh, yeah. Clichéd line after clichéd line that you've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of times over in movies. And in this movie, they didn't give me that. Lines like, you'll never get away with this. Yeah. 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 I mean... Or, it's going to blow. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to jump. (laughs) Yeah. This is particularly... um, Because I, I actually saw Iron Man... Um, this summer, and I saw um, and I saw Hellboy, both. And um, while I enjoyed both movies for some reasons, Iron Man much more than Hellboy. Both of them were giving me the lines I expected. Um, Robert Downey Jr. was giving them in a way I didn't expect, which is what yeah. made that work. He, the, the place where he wasn't giving the lines you expected was right. when he was interacting and, with yeah. the robots. Right. But when he was being Iron Man, it was yeah. predictable. Um, but in da- Batman, and I think in Iron Man, from what I've heard, it was pretty much the improv scenes that I liked, where they just let him yep. say what he wanted, yep. and that worked. In Batman, I got a sense of precision. Every line seemed mm-hmm. well-crafted to me. And um, what it made me think as a writer was, was, wow, I just need to make sure to take it one little step further. Every time I'm writing, just say, what, is, what do people expect me to write here? 
And sometimes I do want them to get the feeling. Sometimes I want them to understand what we're saying is you'll never get away with this. But is there a way I can say it in a way that evokes that character? Yeah, you got to use you got to use different words. You yeah. got to use different words. And not just different words, different words which which say, you know, this Batman and this this how is he different from every other he, superhero? Yeah. How will he say this line? What words will he choose that will show us how he is different? Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. It's, well, as I sat down to, to script some Schlock Mercenary uh, uh, early this week, I guess it was Monday. Um, I was thinking about this principle because we talked about uh, we talked about doing this podcast, and I started thinking about that as I was writing character dialogue, and I came up with some fantastic dialogue because the initial. You know, the, the initial choice is, you know, somebody asks a question or announces something and somebody else says, you know, go on, whatever. And, and uh, I had the character say something kind of unexpected, which led to a fantastic punchline and really drove yeah. the strip forward. So this principle is one that's not just about what did Matt, Batman do right, but yeah. what can we all be doing right, all be doing better. It's more than what can Batman do right. It's what can we learn that what they did right, what can we learn from it? Mm -hmm. um, let's break it down by plot character uh, setting. Um, let's start with plot. Howard, you said you liked the plot. Let's talk about specifics for writers. What can writers learn about the way this was plotted? Okay, this is, this is fairly complicated. Batman is a three-act play within a three-act play. Mm -hmm. The first three-act play is the one that you think is going to end with the Joker behind bars right. and Commissioner Gordon as uh, commissioner. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that play ends unexpectedly and you discover that you are really only an act and a half inside of a larger three-act play in which uh, the Joker you know actually goes on to to live you know right up until the end of the movie right. and, and is you know captured we I don't know right. what became of him um, I assume he goes to jail uh, and we have a new villain. We have a new problem mm -hmm. at the end of the uh, end of the film. And the problem at the end of the film is uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The whole concept of justice in Gotham City will fall apart yeah. if certain truths come to light. Right. And and you discover as you look back over the whole movie, oh, that's what this whole fight was about in the first in in the inset uh, three acts and right. in the outer three acts it's all been about this concept of justice and is it something yeah. we can but believe what in? can we learn from that what did they do how do we how structurally do we... Mm. um i think they they studied the heck out of three act <laughs> format and looked at the they looked at the forms mm -hmm. and they cut the things that didn't fit and added the things that did until they had the right movie there's a lot of editing the, yeah. the, the big thing that stood out to me regarding the plot structure of uh, The Dark Knight was the way that they built almost two different plots going. And, and, and this is my interpretation of the same thing Howard mm -hmm. is talking about, is they, they had their underlying themes. And that movie was all about, on the thematic level, it was all about these dichotomous pairs of good right. versus evil and order versus chaos and all yeah. of those things. And then they had their adventure story going. And you get to the end of the adventure story with the Joker dangling upside down from a building, and you realize, wait, the story, this plot is resolved, but none of those themes are resolved. And all of those themes come together very beautifully for me in the last half hour with Two-Face. He's the one that brings all of those to a close. What I, what I think I, I took from this was um, 
Sometimes it's okay to take risks because what we're describing here is a very risky it's exceptionally format. risky. It's, I mean, w there are some people How who... How long was this movie? Three it hours? It was two and a half hours. Two and a half hours? Or, or more. I, I, there are people who walked away, away from that movie feeling let down because they didn't get the theme. They went expecting the superhero movie and they got, you know, act one and then little act one, little act two, little act three. And then when big act two, big act three hit them, they thought they felt like it was anticlimax. Um, and yeah. you know, I think, I think it worked. It, for me, it worked on the grander scale. But for some people, it didn't. And I think that's the danger here. But because they took this risk, I think you ended, they ended up with a brilliant movie that, mm -hmm. that doesn't do what we expect, but in that way that's good. Um, that way that they do the, the surprising yet inevitable. Um, yeah. It's when that, that moment of realization, this was in many ways, um, did the surprise plot for me much better than something like The Sixth Sense. Um, which, you know, twists the whole movie in the last moment. The Sixth mm -hmm. Sense and, and all of the Shyamalan yeah. films, uh, to an extent, depend on fooling the viewer, fooling the reader, right. up until the very last minute. And if the reader has guessed it and isn't fooled, the whole thing falls apart. Right. Batman did not depend on you being fooled. Right. Yeah. Batman mm -hmm. depended on you expecting... Feeling for the yeah, characters. Feeling, yeah. feeling for the characters. And then there were little surprises all the way through. There were yeah. some big surprises right. that you could have guessed at, but mm -hmm. th there was there was too much for somebody to come out and say, "Oh, I, I saw the whole thing coming." No, right. I didn't. Well, yeah. and even if you did, I mean, the pure majesty of just how it's unfolding with is is in itself something wonderful to watch. I think yeah. it is. Well, and the shock at the end. I mean, I, for me, the big twist at the end in which oh, Batman has to take the fall for all of mm -hmm. this stuff. That is as redefining a moment as the end of the sixth sense. Yeah, for me. Yeah. And it's not, and it, like you say, it's not because we're trying to fool you or it's not because we're misdirecting you. It's because we have drawn all of these characters together in a way that you didn't think we were yeah. going to do. Batman has worked so hard to be heroic throughout the film. And, and so, yeah, when we get to that last scene at the end, where not only did he have to break some of his own rules, but now he has to look like he has broken all of them right. in order to save this concept of, of justice yeah. in Gotham City. Now, and, and now, for, for writers, there are ways to do that. Yeah. The, this, there's a line I won't cross, there's a rule I won't break. That's brought up throughout the entire movie. Mm -hmm. And we, as you know, the audience, were thinking, well, of course Batman's not going to actually break those rules because he's Batman. Yeah. And then at the end, he doesn't. And he does. He doesn't, but he lets people think he does. Yeah. Which is almost, it's, it's an amazing sacrifice. It, it's, let's, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's get into the character. What can we learn about how this movie did character? Um, specifically, I'm looking at, we, Dan's already brought up one of the big ones, letting the side characters be interesting. Just interesting enough to drive the story, but not distract you from You know, it. the only characters that didn't cross lines, the only characters who got a reasonable amount of screen time, yeah. who didn't cross some of their own lines and you know behave outside of the borders ended up dead. Mm. Okay. Uh, pretty Commissioner Gordon, he crosses the line. Uh, mm. Two Face, he definitely crosses the line. Batman crosses yeah. the line. Joker's always crossing lines. The original Commissioner mm -hmm. didn't cross any lines. He was very, he was very straight. Uh, you know, he, he was very. See, I'm going to disagree. I don't think Batman crossed any lines. I think, oh, he, I think he did. No, he, he, I think that one of the, the great things about the characterization in this movie is the thing that, that Dan brought up is he got pushed to that line, but he did not cross it. 
He allowed it, and I think this this really. Treats I think the telephone system yeah, that I he was built. Gonna I say, think with the telephone I think that's system, him dancing he on the edge of the line. Right up to the line, right. put one foot across so that he could reach out and grab the Joker, uh-huh. and then said, "I have crossed the line. I am stepping back across it, and mm-hmm. I'm handing the keys to this to Lucas, Lucius, yes, Lucius Fox." And they make a big deal at the end of the and movie about how that. he shuts it down. He gets rid of what was really a pretty horrible mm-hmm. device. Okay. All right. Um, what I liked about the characterization in this movie was, um, and this is specific to, to superhero movies, but also I like writing about people who are noble, who mm-hmm. are heroic, but who also are forced to make difficult decisions and kind of talking about the costs of heroism. Um, and so for me watching this movie, um, I loved comparing this movie to previous superhero movies where there were no costs, um, yeah. where there are the, the the heroes don't really act that heroic in oh, a gosh. lot of these other superhero movies. Hellboy. Hellboy was a great example. He's, I mean, you can argue <laughs> that he's an anti-hero, not right. a hero, and kind of excuse all of that. But but yeah. this still holds true. He right. doesn't behave like a hero. It doesn't feel heroic. And meanwhile, Batman again is kind of an anti-hero, but he's acting so heroic. He's trying so hard to protect mm-hmm. everybody that he can that it's just completely destroying him. Yeah. And yet he's still doing it. Well, and I think that's one of the great things that they did when writing this movie is they took what's really a core concept for Batman is that he will go to any lengths, almost, mm-hmm. to do what he needs to do. And then they said, how can we take that idea and twist it in a way no one's going to see coming and that still makes him look, you know, still makes him heroic even though he's doing anything he needs to do. And their yeah. solution at the end allows both of those. One thing I wanted to bring up about this in this podcast is um, many of us here may be writing screenplays. Some of us won't be. Um, I don't write a lot of screenplays. There are things that the movie can get away with that we can't, one of which is it can depend on its actors to give an amazing performance, which this movie certainly was able to do. Mm -hmm. We can't depend on that in our writing. We have to depend on the the imagination. (laughs) The reader has to give a stupendous performance. (laughs) And so how can we as writers, what can we take from this and say, how can we do this? How can we help our readers? Any kind of final comments that, that, um, that you would give to someone trying to write a story that they want to get across the emotional depth of this movie, but in a book form? Really strong voices. I mean, we've talked about dialogue and word choices, but, you know, like Howard said, the reader is the one that has to give those performances. Help them along by making the voices as unique as you possibly can. Use all caps. Yes. No, wait, wait. And blinking. Um, Use lots of exclamation points. (laughs) (laughs) You can't solve the problem with textual tools. You have to solve the problem with contextual tools. You have to create Mm -hmm. characters that have backstories, and we, we beat this into the ground yeah. over and over. They have to yeah. have their own voices, and once those characters are real to you as a writer, and their voices are flowing naturally from you as a writer, the odds are really good that when the reader reads it, they're going to have the same sort of experience in reverse. Okay. There was a really quick... Uh, uh, when I was first learning to do creative writing, I would use, you know, back in elementary school, underlining things and bolding things that I thought, you know, this is the important word in the sentence, so I'm going to underline it. My teacher said, no, you have to, don't use any of those tricks. Write it in such a way that the reader will put the emphasis where you want it to go. Hmm. Let's, um, let's give a writing prompt based on that. I want you to, to take an old piece of writing that you've done within the last year or so, take a dialogue scene, um, and I want you to try and take each piece of dialogue up a half of a notch. 
meaning a little bit more unexpected. Um, some, have, have it evoke a little bit more character, but mean exactly the same thing with that extra sort of, um, of super context. Crank it all up and have the dialogue end up in the same place yes, it ended same up place. before. Same, mm -hmm. same conclusions have to be drawn, but just have a little bit more to it. This has been Writing Excuses. Thanks for listening. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.